I'm Effie Parks. Welcome to Once Upon a Jane, the podcast. This is a place I created for us to connect and share the stories of our not-so-typical lives. Raising kids who are born with rare genetic syndromes and other types of disabilities can feel pretty isolating. What I know for sure is that when we can hear the triumphs and challenges from others who get it, we can find a lot more laughter, a lot more hope, and feel a lot less alone. I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Once Upon a Gene is proud to be part of Bloodstream Media. Living in a family affected by rare and chronic illness can be isolating, and sometimes the best medicine is connecting to the voices of people who share your experience. This is why Bloodstream Media produces podcasts, blogs, and other forms of content for patients, families, and clinicians impacted by rare and chronic diseases. Visit bloodstreammedia.com to learn more. Hi there, and welcome to the show. Once a month, I release this extra special episode in a series I call A Rare Collection. It features a few people from the rare disease community, each telling a true story with the same theme. I'm super excited to present the 24th episode in the storytelling series. I've always been moved by storytelling, and I believe there's so much power in them for both the listener and the storyteller. I'm the luckiest podcaster ever in that this is what I get to do for fun, passion, and purpose. The theme for today's episode is keep digging. All of these families were given a cerebral palsy diagnosis, and they trusted their gut, and they kept digging. Here's a story from Angela, Mama Tayani, with IRF2BPL a neurodegenerative disorder. Keep digging once really terrified me, but I knew it was something we had to do. When Yanni was born on a Saturday evening in July 2020, we knew immediately that something was not right. He was whisked away to the NICU and nobody could tell us what was happening, what was going on, why he needed to be there. Everybody kept thinking, oh, there's some sort of infection. He might have meningitis. It looks like he has cerebral palsy. We have no idea, but we're going to do what we can to help you and your son. So Yanni was in the NICU for a good two plus weeks, and we still didn't have answers. So from the moment we brought him home, he was failure to thrive for many, many, many months. So that's when we knew we still had to keep digging to try to figure out what was going on to our sweet, sweet baby. Finally, after 18 months, we were able to find a brilliant neurologist, and she started to piece the puzzle together for us. It was 18 months of sheer agony of trying to figure out what was going on with our sweet baby boy. And to finally bridge some gaps, we were very excited to do a whole exome sequencing for Yanni. We had done in utero testing and we had done preconception genetic testing for various reasons and nothing of significance had come about. So we thought we were in the clear. Well, long story short, that was not the case. And our magical son, Yanni, um, with whole exome sequencing, we found out that it wasn't cerebral palsy. In fact, it is two ultra-rare fatal progressive neurodegenerative disorders, IRF2BPL and ALSM1. While we are grateful to have found some answers, we are horrified at the findings, but we knew in our heart of hearts that we needed to figure this out for Yanni's well-being and for us to combat 
these two ultra-rare conditions. And we will do anything in our power for IRF2BPL in particular and the rare disease world as a whole. So for us, you know, keep digging really resonates because had we not, we would just not be doing the best for Yanni at the moment. Like having these diagnosis really opened our eyes to the fact that, you know, sometimes people are given a blanket diagnosis and without searching for more, you might really not know what's going on with your child. And for us, we really needed to know what was going on to better help him and his challenges. Thank you, Effie, for bringing this topic up and letting us share a little tidbit of our journey thus far. We started a foundation, Yellow for Yanni, to be a leading resource for IRF2BPL funding and, of course, be support for other families that are enduring this horrific disease. And we hope to um, just change the landscape of ultra-rare conditions as a whole, not just for our, our disorders, but as a whole for everybody. So thank you so much for your time and listening to our story. We appreciate you. Lots of love. Here's a story from Katie, Mama Debo, who has KIF-1A, a neurodegenerative disorder. On December 17th, 2021, just shy of a month after his second birthday, our son Bo was diagnosed with KIF-1A associated neurological disorder, otherwise known as CAND, a super rare genetic condition that affects about 400 people in the world. At the time, we had been down about a year and a half diagnosis route, and we finally got our diagnosis. But in the nature and theme of this podcast, um, Keep Digging, I'd like to share the route that led us to this diagnosis. So I'm going to go back to the road that led us there. Leading up to having Bo, we had multiple miscarriages, mostly early, one about 10 or 12 weeks, that led us to see some fertility doctors that we had previously done some genetic testing and never encountered any problems. So when we got pregnant with Bo, we had a healthy, happy pregnancy leading to a pretty uncomplicated birth. Um, when Bo was born, he met all of his, his milestones and he, he had the best APCAR scores. He was a healthy baby and he met all of his milestones, his three, three month milestones, his six month milestones. It wasn't until about a year when he crawled late that we started to notice that maybe something was going on, but it also could be attributed to the fact that he was kind of a big baby. And so we waited a little bit longer and then between 12 and 14 months, we started to see some issues with his feet and his legs. And even then our pediatrician was being very, very conservative by sending us to a physical therapist, thinking that we'd be able to, you know, do some PT and catch up. So he started seeing a physical therapist around 14 or 15 months and we started PT. And about the same time, this was right before the COVID pandemic started. So things were starting to slow down with evaluations and treatments. And so um, our local regional center evaluated him for his missed milestones, mostly in the gross motor area, around 16 months. And he was just barely behind, just enough where he could qualify for some services where we enrolled him in early intervention. So, but as the time got by, we started to see more discrepancies in his communication and his social skills and his gross motor and his fine motor. And I just feel like I was always about two steps ahead of the doctors. I would come to an appointment and feel like I, I felt like something was going on and the doctors would 
not really listen till about two or three appointments later. So I and my mom heart knew that something was going on and um, we really pushed to have him seen by a neurologist. And at the time, our pediatrician had been the medical director of a local county program for children with disabilities. And so she was very familiar with, with multiple disabilities and you know, muscular disorders and whatnot. And she thought maybe he had a mild, mild case of cerebral palsy. And so we fought and we got him seen by a neurologist. And all the while, when the word CP came into my brain, I started to do as much digging into CP as I could. And everything was telling me early intervention. Early intervention is key. And the quicker you could see a doctor, the quicker you could get therapy. But we were waiting months to to see specialists and to actually be seen by a neurologist. So um, we waited another, we probably saw a neurologist at about 20 or 21 months. And that's when we started going down the road of getting him diagnosed with CP, because at the time, that's what everybody thought that it was. And our doctor explained that there were two routes, two routes for CP. There was one that had a clear brain injury or early birth or accident that led to something that would cause the CP. And then there was a bucket of people that we never really had answers, but they clinically presented as CP. And so that's kind of what we were going with at the time. And she was ready to give him a diagnosis of CP. So we went to the neurologist and the neurologist did a sedated MRI and we anxiously awaited those results, like four to six weeks we waited. And when we got the results back, there was nothing wrong with his brain, which was a great thing, right? I didn't want my child to have a brain injury or brain malformation, but we were still back at square one. So every other doctor I was talking to said they were comfortable giving him a clinical diagnosis of CP. But our neurologist said, I'm not quite happy with that answer. And with my pushing as well, he decided to do a panel of genetic tests. He did two genetic tests on him. He did a microarray on his chromosomes, and then he did 350 different genes that could simulate symptoms similar to CP. And that test at the time was one of only two or three companies that actually tested for his disorder, Kifwane, that he actually ended up being diagnosed with. And we were able to find the Kifwane mutation. The good thing, the bright thing about this is that getting a diagnosis beyond the CP diagnosis of the Kifwane associated neurological disorder completely changed the trajectory of his treatment. CP is a diagnosis that is stagnant in nature. It's very studied. There's lots of different treatments that are approved for CP because of the stagnant nature of the disease, whereas his KIF1A-associated neurological disorder is a progressive disorder. It will get worse with time. Even though it's rare and there's few things known about it consistently, we do know that it is degenerative in nature. So had we gone down the line with CP diagnosis, we probably would have encountered some different treatments that would have been detrimental to Bo's long-term prognosis and even some things that they don't suggest for progressive disorders that they will do for CP, like certain spine surgeries or certain medications. So just from our gut feelings and a neurologist that was willing to listen to us. I'm really happy that we were able to find the right diagnosis because now we're part of a community that can really help Bo and we're participating in research studies that might eventually lead to some sort of treatment or cure for his super rare disorder. And uh, I encourage any parents out there who have that CP diagnosis who just don't feel okay about it to keep digging, um, keep asking questions and keep pushing for the safety of your child. And um 
I think in the long term, you're going to be better off for it and your child will be healthier and safer. So thank you for giving me the platform to share about our beautiful boy. Here's a story from Dana, sister to Jason and Sean, who have BCA P31. The bond between families who incorporate wheelchairs, special needs, accessibility in their everyday life, it's unmatched. Digging deeper, Jason wasn't hitting his appropriate milestones when he was aging. My mom and dad met with a doctor who cold-heartedly told them that Jason wouldn't live past the age of three. They labeled Jason with cerebral palsy. Genetic testing began in 1999 with our first visit to the Mayo Clinic. Sean was four, Jason was seven, and I was 10. In 2000, before 9-11, our family went to Columbia University. Jason and Sean were tested further. We made a family vacation out of both trips. Elizabeth Barry Kravis is Jason and Sean's neurologist at Rush Hospital in Chicago, and we're forever indebted to her. She diagnosed the boys on December 31st, 2013, after doing years of genetic testing. Again, both boys were undiagnosed until Jason was 21, Sean was uh, 18. Kravis actually was driving home from her shift and pulled her car over to leave us a message. Both boys were missing six pairs of their X chromosome, and I was a carrier um, with a 50-50 chance of having a child with this genetic disorder. I'm a carrier with an open mind, as I said. Genetic testing gave me the answers that I need to build my family. There's no cure for what my brothers have. They're the oldest documented case. And most families I've met so far received diagnoses for their kids around age three, around the time that my mom noticed that Jason wasn't hitting his milestones. I just want to say that I'm determined to lend hope, faith, strength, and humor to parents and families, siblings struggling with this news mentally, emotionally, physically. I'm here to give them peace of mind, and genetic testing is going to give families peace of mind. So I'll see you next time at the tree. Here's a story from Kelly, mama to Emma, who has dopamine transporter deficiency syndrome. When my daughter was two months old, I started noticing that she was missing milestones. Her head lagged, she constantly arched her back, and breastfeeding was a nightmare. Her pediatrician wanted to wait and see. But at four months, I asked for a referral to early intervention, as she had not met any more milestones. At six months, we sought out a complex care pediatrician who started running tests and lab work. I was instructed to keep a daily log of symptoms to see if we could find any cause of her delays. All this did was make me question everything my daughter did, even if it was developmentally appropriate. At the height of COVID, when she was nine months old, we had an EEG and an MRI. Both came back normal. We were referred to a pediatric neurology shortly after, and she suspected CP, explaining that even though there was no brain damage or abnormalities, it was still cerebral palsy. My mama gut was screaming that was false, even though I have no medical background. I consulted with my daughter's many therapists, and they all concurred that the diagnosis was probably correct and even if it wasn't, the treatment wouldn't change. If anything, this diagnosis could help her get services and Medicaid faster. I couldn't accept this diagnosis and sought out yet another opinion at our children's hospital two hours away. During our initial consult, I laid everything out on the table, reviewed all of her symptoms and lack of progress, now an 18-month-old still at a three-month developmental level. After a thorough evaluation, the developmental 
pediatrician looked at me and said, I think I know what your daughter has, but I can't remember the name. Do you mind if I step out of the room? And she left the room and looked something up on her computer. After what felt like 15 minutes, she came back with an order for a genetic panel on neurotransmitters. A short three months later, the genetic counselor was telling us our daughter's diagnosis, dopamine transporter deficiency syndrome. She is so rare that the genetic counselor, counselor literally used the phrase one in a million. The disorder doesn't have its own billing code, so most of the doctors and therapists still bill her as diagnosed with cerebral palsy. In some ways, the doctors and therapists were right. Having a correct diagnosis has not changed the way the therapists treat my daughter, but it has changed the way the doctors do. Needless to say, we have not been back to that first neurologist, but instead we sought out a movement disorder specialist. She has been able to put my daughter on a medication for Parkinson's to treat the tremors that are associated with the disorder. Had we settled for the CP diagnosis, we wouldn't have known that our daughter's life expectancy was only late adolescence or that there is a gene therapy clinical trial coming in the next few years. Those early months were emotionally draining. I was constantly questioning myself and if I had the right to question these doctors. Now I have learned how to advocate for my daughter and I will continue to be her voice. What I've learned from this journey is not all knowledge is found in books and medical school. No one mo knows more about your child than you. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate y'all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you. <laughs>